So we have Isaiah from the ONB podcast joining us. Isaiah, how are you? We, uh, I'm having the guys explain a little bit about themselves. Tell me uh, how you became a Flyers fan and how you got into podcasting. Uh, boy, I go way back. I go back '69. Uh, we used to play street hockey, and in North, like uh, Alney Juniata section, Feltonville, in Philadelphia. It was back before like Milek came out, so we had old-fashioned wooden hockey sticks, and we were playing with tennis balls that we cut up. And I saw my first Flyers game like December of '69. So I had to look it up because I honestly I didn't remember. I think it was uh, 27th of December 1969, 2-2 tie the Flyers and the Canadians back when a tie was a really cool thing for the Flyers to get versus the defending champion Canadians. So um, that's how I became a Flyers fan. Well, we're going back when we're talking about ties, huh? Yeah. <laughs> now they're optional, right? Nah, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I miss ties sometimes because uh, – I can't watch shootouts, but yeah, I got into podcasting. I guess I started seeing a lot of opinions in hockey buzz where I got thrown off. And, um, and then I went to Twitter that like, wait a minute. I thought about, I thought about that like, uh, three weeks ago, what's going on here. So I decided to get a podcast together. I started with the uh, chef, chef B, and then we added Dan and we had a couple personnel, uh, changes and shifts there, but that's, uh, Pretty much uh, just started going. We got episode number, what, 73 or 74. We're just putting a can over the last three years. Wow. Yeah, you guys do great work over there and really enjoy listening to you guys. And, you know, it's cool getting everyone together for a little show here tonight. Because, you know, listening to everyone, you know, it's a lot of different personalities, a lot of different perspectives. And it's cool to get everyone in, in one spot to talk some Flyers hockey. So thanks for hanging out with us, Isaiah. Uh which topics should we dive into over here? Do you guys have anything specifically that you want to discuss? Spicy opinions? What do you guys think about the uh, the goal song this year? Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Glitter history or rock and roll part two. That's again the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It really grew on me. I think I didn't like it at first. How's it go? Feel the shake? Yeah. And like now it's like yeah. this song sucks, but it's our suck, you know. There was one game where they scored like four or five goals in pretty rapid succession, and I'm like, this sucks. What am I doing here? Like, ah, <laughs> oh, kills the kills the mood for me. Does I mean, I remember really? bro him. That's like the last one I remember. I don't even keep track. Was, I've been down. I've been to a game in like over twenty years. So bro him. That's like the last song that I actually really really liked that they had. I would Which like one? it was more the, if it wasn't da, like. Is that that one? No, that was uh, that by that Pennywise. Was... Yeah. The one you were thinking uh, of, Dan, was the dupe. That was yeah, that was the, the uh, Union Soul. Yeah, you could look that one up. I, I don't want to say that. That was a Union podcast. Podcast. whole song, too, wasn't it? Yeah. I think, I think they, they got took it from the Union. Yeah, I think they did. Um, and that's why I didn't like that song, because they took it from somebody else. Exactly. They took Rohan, too. I don't, even, I don't even know what the goal song is this year. I've been to nine games. Like I, I just, I don't know if it just doesn't register or if I'm screaming or something. But I don't know. Well, let's all let's all sing it for Jack real quick. That'd be great, actually. Boy, who did they steal bro him from? They steal it from the Ducks. Yeah, the Ducks. It's the Ducks now, and it was the Ducks. I think like I know which one that is. in the early. Oh, my Pennywise. Yeah. Hmm. I got it. We're all clear now. 
Oh. This is great. Yeah. Just let it play. To me, this is an NHL song for one of the games. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how far you want me to go with it, but just let me yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I not, love it, though. Uh, yeah, that's not that bad. It's not. That, I've seen. I've heard worse. But it's like when it's they score, work. like the whole crowd can get into it. So, yeah. And here it goes. Yeah, here's a crowd. Yeah. yeah. You're chanting. Like. Yeah. You can start moshing like when, during the goal. Yeah. <laughs> I see you doing that, Jay. Yeah, it's like a moshy kind of feel to it. <laughs> and that's punk. Yeah. Those were the days. Those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because now you got like the poppy, like the dupe was kind of poppy-ish, and they were playing all the uh, the ELC music. What, or, I remember what was Light Him Up by uh, Fall Out Boy. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, I do remember it though. <laughs> I remember like Yanni Minical back in the day, they, like, like Metallica. Did he play a lot of Metallica stuff back then when he was on the team? Day day. I remember like, a lot of maybe... that stuff for like an offensive zone face-off. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like our um, uh, Alan Parsons project that like bam 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 bam. It was real low, and it was just like kind of hit. Welcome to the jungle. They played out all the time. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Here's a question. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna maybe move the conversation a little bit here. Most underrated Flyers defenseman. Samuel Moran. In the last. <laughs> in the last. I think somebody put maybe a poll out. I can't remember who it was here. Anthony DeMarco. Was it Anthony? Yeah, it, yes, was. it was. Most underrated Flyers defenseman in the last 20 years. 20 years. <laughs> I would go more, but I don't remember who I watched when I was. Uh, well, hold on, that's only. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I know. I, mean, I got my answer like from like way. You know, okay. me, I always go back into. Like, okay, yeah. Stuff. So, so let's include that. So, most underrated flyer defenseman in your lifetime. How about that? Yeah, I like that better because I got a guy in mind. Okay, Bob Daly, definitely. He was a horse. He was an offensive defenseman who really was key to that 80 cup final team. In fact, when he got hurt in 81, that was one of the main motivating factors for them going out and getting Mark Howe because he had a terrible injury in Buffalo, which more or less ended his career. He went into a corner and his ankles just shattered. Just and uh, But he, he put up great numbers, great first pass, and he would have been even better in today's game. Good skater. 6'5", 210. Wasn't that real physical, but he was just moving the puck, you know, so well. So he's someone I always remembered. And because he didn't play that long because he got hurt, you know, it's, uh, a lot of people forget about him because he was in that little era after the Cup and before the great 80s run with Mark Howe and all those guys and Pelly and Ron Hextall and all that crew. So, So I'm looking at his stats here. In 1977-78, he scored 21 goals and 57 points as a defenseman? Yeah. In the 80s, baby. Yeah. But still. That's, that's fucking good. Hell yeah. And, I, and I'm going to be <laughs> honest, and I'm like, like, sorry for my uh, ignorance here, but I haven't heard much of Bob Daly ever, to tell you the truth. That's 13... why he's underrated. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know <laughs> if I'd call him underrated. I just know he got a lot of hate. And I know that uh, uh, he he has some pretty decent stats, but Dan McGillis wasn't as bad as people make him out to be. 
No. He had like two 40-point seasons, but every time I somebody that name gets brought up, people shit on him. I really liked McGillis. I wanted a McGillis jersey. Uh, I thank my mom for, you know, making sure that didn't happen, but I like him. That's one of the uh, few jerseys I don't own, actually. Is that Dan McGillis? Oh, there you go. You're slipping, Dan. Come on, man. <laughs> a guy named Dan, no less. <laughs> it starts with the Dan. Dan doesn't own Dan. Dan. What's wrong with you? It's like Dan Moran. Yeah. Um, I'm going off the top of my head here. I'm really just trying to – other guys, they only were, like, here for a little bit that I can think of. I feel like the last 20 years, the Flyers defensemen have been, like, properly rated when they're, like, good. But then, like, the rest of it have just been garbage and, like, a revolving door. Okay. Yeah, so, so, the main stage, yeah. the top guys, yeah. So uh, I said under underrated. How about underappreciated? Brandon Manning. Uh, oh, I was <laughs> – kind of had a fascinating like i i loved watching him play especially in 20 uh, 2012 i was like eric gustison especially when he came up with that like kind of random goal from like the blue line against uh mark andre flurry where like at that point mark andre flurry couldn't stop a beach ball but like he didn't really show up on the stats a lot but like what i did see of him and he had some kind of big moments i don't know i just kind of liked eric gustison I, I don't think it was very good but he just he was fun Back at a time where the Flyers had no prospects, he was a guy that I was like, oh, he could be something. Hey, who knows? Defensemen can skate. And then he just, like, signed in the KHL after, like, 2013 season or something. Like, he just disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that guy on I – don't, I, don't, I don't see him anywhere on Twitter, Bob Roberts. And he would – he would love – he loved Eric Gustafson because, like, like they were saying, like you guys were saying, I mean, we had nothing. And Eric Gustafson showed some – First pass ability, a little bit of speed, and it was like uh, some kind of hope that we could get somebody to move the puck out of the zone while we were in the Andrew McDonald era. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that was it. And he was young, and he could move at a time where the league was starting to transition with those uh, offensive defensemen who could really skate. And, yeah, he, as quickly as he was, like, scoring. I think he even had, like, a playoff goal against the Rangers in, like, game yeah. five or six or something. And then he just, after after that season, he just, poof. I have his uh, game-worn jersey from that Rangers series. Oh, shit, really? Wow. Nice. That's, like, a nice little random-ass one that's probably worth something. <laughs> this is game-worn. Um, I always kind of liked Andrew Mazaras before he got hurt. He was oh, always yeah. pretty good. He was always pre- he was good with Ottawa. I think his game fell off a little bit in Tampa, and then it was like a sneaky trade. I thought we made his first season was very good, and I remember him getting hurt and just not being the same player. So it's a short span of his time. I felt like what was that? I felt like he was the Michael Neuvirth of his time. He just kept getting hurt. Yeah, he, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. And it was it was just like I, man. It, I had a friend tell me about him when he was back when he was playing with Ottawa, and I was like, who, what, whatever. And it, I guess it was the year they went to the Cup because they had everybody. But, yeah, and we, we added him, and I immediately saw how good he was playing offensively. He was a big dude. And, yeah, you're right. Neuvert's a good example because after that it was all, you know, he just couldn't play anymore. Yeah, he was very thick. I mean, he would really good. He was really good at the point of contact. Absolutely. He, he, he gave a lot more offense than I expected. I just I thought yeah, he was just gonna be one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, and he could move. He, he could make, like, a move around the guy – when you maybe you think he's about to take a shot or something, and just one little step, and it was, it was again at a time where our defense was, I don't want to say slim pickings, or maybe it was right around the time we were trying to find the rest of our defense, where we had our Coburn and Teeman in. Can't remember if Pronger was; they were on the same team with Pronger. I think he might have been. 
I'm not he, sure. I think he came in in uh, 2011, I want to say, that year. So, okay. Like so the, the 2010-11 season, I think, was his first one. That sounds right, right around that time. So he probably had like a, some time with them. But that's when our defense was – yeah, that was when we were starting to look really good. As far as underrated, underappreciated – Trying to think of anybody who was incredibly hated on that was actually decent. I mean, maybe when they moved Coburn, uh, he was never a first pairing defenseman. He was very good at what he did, but once he got moved up, people just started shitting on him. And um, I'd say he was better. He deserved better than that. That's that's about it. He was in over his head there at the end. He really when was. He, when he when he had Pronger and uh, Tiemann in front of him, he was totally fine. He's a good second pair guy, but once he got all that responsibility put on him uh, after that cup run, it's just he wasn't able to live up to it. And uh, it's amazing that Hextall still got a first, third, and Gudis for him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a Robin, not a Batman. But you know, guys like that are pretty valuable. Absolutely. Jim, you brought up the question. You got anybody? Um. So you guys gave a lot better answers than somebody that I was gonna say. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking more like a like a Timonen, but you know, you guys yeah. kind of went like I I like where you guys kind of went with it because you guys kind of went like personal, sounded like personal favorites or personal like you know underrated, underappreciated players, guys that you liked that maybe not everybody else did, which I think is kind of better uh, for this kind of conversation because. You know, I appreciated hearing your guys' more personal answers than, oh, yeah, definitely Eric Desjardins or Kimo and you know. you got, So, uh, yeah, your guys' answers were a lot better than the one I, I was going to hear. was just a case of being in kind of that dead era. You know, he was overshadowed by Chris Pronger there during the cup run, and he was there in the, the 2012 and 13 when shit was really starting to hit the fan. And he was, you know, after Pronger but before Provorov. You know, he filled that hole nicely. Considering yeah, he, he was 35 at the time, and that and you know that's so overlooked at how good he was, considering where he was in, in his career. You know, yeah. One thing that he's underappreciated for, and I actually have to give some credit to Scott Hartnell here as well, is when we finished dead last and we traded for their expiring contact tra- contracts. Um, they were kind of on the fence. Well, Teamin was on the fence about coming supposedly. Hartnell talked him into it, and that both Hartnell and Teamin, along with the signing of Danny Briere, really turned a dead last team around real quick. And that kind of led. It was those f- first three moves that really, you know, and Carter and Richard stepping up to led to us being an eventual 2010 championship caliber team. Oh, yeah, that was peak Holmgren, no doubt. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to give him a little credit there. He came on to a dead last team and helped turn him around real quick. What about uh, Mike Rathje? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, can I, can I have the opposite for that one? <laughs> Performance syndrome. Whose back was worse, his or John LeClaire's? It's <laughs> a good question. I just you know what? That season. Remember you signed Clark signed Ratchy and Hatcher just when the league was getting faster? Yeah. And back, too. Ratchy and Marcus Ragnarsson were quite the pair in San Jose in the late nineties when the game they really was were the, the big, I they were fucking phenomenal back then. Oh, but yeah. By the time the mid two thousands rolled around and that style of hockey was going the way of the dinosaurs and they were both injured. It just, it, it was a disaster, but you know, what's been, another thing about teaming in was that he was like the natural replacement for uh, Desjardins because they had been looking for that guy to kind of anchor and 
give that veteran presence, like a real veteran presence, not the freaking fucking McDonald bullshit, you know? I love hearing Isaiah curse. I don't know what it is. I it's just very like odd. It. <laughs> I what love the it. Fuck, 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 fuck. McDonald would do that to anybody. I was just not fucking McDonald, man. <laughs> I've been personally violated by fucking Dave Hackstall. <laughs> what about uh, somebody I had liked as a kid, Kim Janssen? Oh yeah, well he was okay. big because he came in the Lindros trade. Yeah, he, the like, only part of that trade that didn't. Suck. <laughs> yeah, it was like we traded Lindros. Did we get anything? And yeah, he, he had a good what, like three seasons. He was yeah, he was a, he was yeah. offensive. Oh, I Yoni Pick, him and Yoni Pickens, and I, I associated around the same time. Yeah, they were yeah. together. Um, that is an answer. That trade is an answer to a trivia question. Who is the laziest motherfucker to ever wear <laughs> O and B? It has got to be, what's his name? Pavel Brendel. Pavel Brendel. Oh, my God. That guy is I like... have over there in the studio, it's an autographed Pavel <laughs> Brendel jersey. <laughs> oh, fucking Pavel Brendel. Man, that, that fucking guy's like, well, I got to play. What, what do you want? I'm Pavel Brendel. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. And then it's showing five. off autographed Pavel Brendel jersey. How much you pay him for that autograph? I think I got this on eBay for about 75 bucks. <laughs> and it has been on my wall ever since, and it is a goddamn trophy. <laughs> I forgot Another that 55. 55. Only the greatest players in history were 55 for playing. So, we, so, so far we got Brendel, Chris Gratton, Sam Moran. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Michael York. <laughs> there you go. Peppermint Patty. Here. Or... 55 was Chris Gratton, Ulf Samuelson, Pavel Brendel, Danny Markov, Ben Eager, Ole Christoph Tolfsson, Nick Schultz, and Sam Moran. Ole Christoph Tolfsson. We were just talking about him. We uh, He was the guy we traded for Vili Lano, I believe. I uh, have his jersey, too. Wow. Norwegian, right? He must have yep. worn it like Somewhere once. over there, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's Norwegian. Yeah, you know, Norwegian I, I like... I liked a lot of those names that you just mentioned. The Ben Eager. He always got beat up, by the way. I yeah, feel like he lost he every single fight. He was from Chicago. He was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got the last laugh, didn't he? He did that shit. Bitch. And, was, and Danny Markov, too. I love Danny Markov. Oh, yeah. My friend really, yeah. I had a friend who loved Danny Markov. <laughs> vodka he was a, he was a cap casualty. He had a what? bad back, but he just took vodka and smoked a, you know, maybe some reefer. I don't know how to get through it. <laughs> he was ahead of his time. Yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> Where did he end up going after the Flyers? Because he didn't he Nashville, right? He was on a really good team, I feel like. No, he was from Carolina, then Flyers in Nashville. Right? Uh, uh. Ooh, that I don't remember. Well, he didn't play that much longer, right? After no, that. I think, let's see here. Danny Markov was a Leaf Coyote. Then he went to Hurricanes, Flyers, Predators, and then he was a Red Wing. In uh -huh. That's it, the Red Wings, yeah. And he uh, fled to Mother Russia. Yeah. The he other, played till 2014? What? Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm looking oh at it now. Holy Shit. fuck. <laughs> Damn. Man. I mean, he was hurt. He was a, he was a fucking alky. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's in Russia. I'm sure everybody's uh, just drunk on vodka. Do you guys remember? Do you remember the twins? Uh, they were, like, involved with, like, the, uh, the Belgium. Yeah, Sir the Yeah. 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 And, they were and always who was getting that guy, some shit. Uh, who they were out with, the, uh, the Montreal teammate, was he with them? Yeah, they were out with, like, the mob and all that. <sighs> oh, what teammate was out with them? Ah, oh, shit. 
it was no, another which, like, guy, I think. It was doing the playoffs, and they got suspended or something. Yeah. Because one of the Kostitsons. Roman Hammerlick. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's who the teammate was? Shit. Veteran guy. Figured he'd know better. Yeah. <laughs> that's like 2012 or something. Those were the days. Yeah. You could just hang out with the mobsters and play hockey. Not anymore. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, what else do we got on the docket for tonight? Anything specific you guys want to bring up here? You know, real quick, there was something that Kelly mentioned earlier uh, while we were talking about Goss She mentioned uh, Provorov not being great on the power play, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit while she was on, yeah. but I, I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts and opinions on there because although he may not have been great, I, I don't think that the issues on the power play were Provorov. He held it down far better than in past seasons. I, I, I think people don't like it because they want to see Sanheim or Myers get more opportunities there. But to say he wasn't good is just uh, it's a wrong statement. Yeah, we, we all had issues with the power play, and I don't think anybody was like, oh, it's Provorov at the point. That's what needs to change. I don't remember anybody saying that. It was like, Drew needs yeah, to go Drew back was on the wrong side. Yeah. You know, why are we doing the same thing over and over again when it's not working and our power play sinking? Like, nobody was like, if people bring up Provorov, it was like a third, third or fourth thought, maybe, maybe, you know. Uh, and again, I can see a lot of that being because they wanted to see Sandheim because people get infatuated. I'm one of them. Uh, I didn't say this, but they get infatuated with prospects. So they want to see guys like Myers or Sandheim up there. And I, I, I think Sandheim should get a shot, but I'm not by no means was Provorov the reason that power play had the struggles it did. Seven of his 13 goals were on the power play this year. The thing about yeah. Provorov, he's not a natural facilitator on the power play. He struggles with the puck sometimes, and you want somebody who's really smooth and, and is passing and has like a certain kind of hockey sense that translates offensively, and he doesn't really appear to have it, but he could definitely be in a, a cog in the wheel. I do think that Myers and Sandheim have more upside long term, but you can't argue with the production you're getting from him, and if he gets caught back and you're in an odd man situation, he's probably the best guy on the team to have back there. He doesn't yeah. have the grace that Pete Gostisbehere did or anything like that. Oh God! You know, yeah, but... he's not. Uh, he's not as great as uh, keeping the puck in the zone as Gostisbehere yeah. was. He really yeah. went for it. But, Seven you know, goals I mean, isn't nothing to sneeze at, though. No, I'm, I Prover. I mean, I ultimately think it's going to wind up someday being Sanheim, but I'm kind of okay with that because Proverov. Did you hear about his work ethic? Like they were yeah. talking about, yeah. like. It was only training me, six like, hours a day or something. Yeah, it's slacking off. It's like doing all this stuff every day, and then he's playing like close to twenty-five or more minutes a night. I'm like, I, if I can rest him, <laughs> God, yeah. just, I feel like one day he's just gonna break down. He's just gonna. Uh, it's one fucking. And he was gone. You that's what like, fucking just, Pavel Brendel did his, his whole career. <laughs> <laughs> it just it scares the shit out of me because he's it's just like. If we can use him elsewhere, if we have a, even if it's like a lateral move just to save Provorov a little bit, I'm, I'm not against it. But I, yeah, he wasn't the issue, that's for sure. He's basically like Ivan Drago. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Sam yeah. like wasn't that good on the power play though. Like he's on the, the second unit, but I feel like it doesn't add as much as like if you throw him up on the top pair. I feel like he wouldn't thrive in that role, even though he's supposed to be an offensive defenseman. 
want to see him. I want to see the Sandheim like of now. Like I want to see him start to. He needs to be on that. I want to see him with the top line because they get the second unit gets like what like forty seconds, and that includes setting up. So it's like I want to. I want to see him with the top dogs because he's got this talent, you know. And it's just he's still young. We see it. I just want to see if he can put it together and give him a, a good streak of time before I'm out on that jury because I've heard that before too. But um, you know, he's there's the whole team is just. Especially the defensive. Uh, he's just not quite so, the. Uh, he's not quite the offensive firecracker that he was with the Phantoms. He's really kind of developed his two-way game since he came up, though. Yeah, and we've seen that with guys. Though, like they'll, they're very good at one thing, and then they work on another thing, and then like one year they put it all together. And I'm wondering yeah. if Sandheim can do that because his skating is one of the some of the best in the league. Like it's yeah. insane. Unless he's going backwards and which will fall over. Unless he falls that's, down. That's status quo for Philly, though. So the leaning <laughs> tower of Sandheim. <laughs> Real quick, guys, before we continue the conversation, we have Yariv Wallach on from the Flyers Nitty Gritty podcast. Yariv, how's it going, man? Doing well. Thanks. Uh, hey, gentlemen. How you guys doing? Sounds like I walked in on a good conversation there. I think that was Sandheim, a little a little gushing over Sandheim, if, I was, if I'm correct. Yeah, we think about oh. uh, him, on, him in the power, on the power play in the future, to, uh, top unit, that is. I, listen, outside of having an immense amount of competition, I mean, he'd be a no-brainer for most teams. I mean, the Flyers just have a humongous luxury. Uh, it's really what it is. I mean, you you can name four guys off the top of your head that could all play a top power play unit if they needed to. That does include a guy like Cam York, right, who could come into the NHL as well. I, I think I think Sanheim, where he is right now, who's the better option? I mean, you, you only have Provorov, Ghost, Sanheim and Myers, who has yet to kind of put it all together. But, I mean, I don't really know what the question would be. I mean, if I saw him at number one, it, I'd have to see an ability for him to play defense at the same level pro Robin. But at the same time, I really think it's a combination of, you know, who who are the guys on the ice, right? We saw this year there almost wasn't a top unit at one point. I don't even know if that was that effective. But they're looking for certain combinations. So, my opinion, if Sanheim can make his shot hit a point where I don't want to say that Provorov's shot is better. I, I don't think it is. But if he can hit a level of accuracy and confidence with the puck, because I think Sanheim's all confidence, he could definitely take it. I mean, the skill set is there. Um, it's there for him. It's there for Myers as well. Um, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he did end up as the number one guy. I mean, Ghost would have to have to rebound to his old form, but that's really the only other guy who competes outside of Provorov. So you're talking about three special players and then potential for more, so... In my mind, I think most teams are glad to have one or two Sandheims. We seem to have like four or five, right? So I just see it as a humongous luxury. It's really a shame we don't have six Samuel Morans. <laughs> <sighs> that would be uh, that would be like the Flyers of uh, was that pre lockout Mike Rathje. Uh, <laughs> you have to right? say the word. We're <laughs> yeah. just talking about that. <laughs> but hey, listen. I, I love those guys, right? I mean, especially Hatcher in his prime, he was top notch, but right, the the game evolves. With Warren, I think it's a tough thing, is like never really got to see what he can do. We'll see, because the, the 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 thing is, is he the evolution of what those guys are, where he can actually skate? Like I, I remember seeing a video of him out skating, again, just going north to south, but out skating Anthony Duclair to the puck. And those are the things that I would look for for like Sandheim. And I was thinking even somebody like uh, Pronger, right, who was not fast. I wouldn't say he was like the best skater ever, uh, but he never got beat. I mean, it was very rare that you ever saw him get beat. And I feel like 
that's really what those guys can do is like the wingspan and the combination of just the long strides. It's like that's what I would look for. But a team of six, obviously, to what Dan's joking around about him, would be that would be reminiscent of, you know, not accepting that the game is changing. You just have um, six Goliaths even... back there, just monsters. I mean, we kind of do. Yeah. But they can play. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of the difference. <laughs> just, they're just not, yeah, they're not looking to touch into the boards. They just can play hockey. Yeah. Whatever happened, Dan was clearly offended by that Moran. <laughs> oh, and he left. Yeah, he went off in a huff. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to him, Moran belonging with the... Uh, Mike Rathtree. First year out of the lockout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I actually I'm a big Sam Moran fan. Like I I really believe in him and I I truly believe he can be an effective NHL player at his role. I mean obviously the health is the issue, but I've watched him battle players in front of the net. Like I like Rod Haig. I'm not saying he's like the the best thing, but we're looking for big strong guys in front of the net. Like who is going to out Sam Moran? And I, like I said, if he can keep up skating wise. It's just a luxury most teams don't have. And with the other skill sets, we don't need to be like, more and why can't you play the power play? Who, who cares? Who cares if he gives us 20 points a year, right? Can he slam people into the boards when they come in? Can he, can he hold up two guys? Does he have that long reach? Is he just mean and nasty to play against where like we kind of need a little bit of that every now and then? And we're not, we don't, I would say maybe that's even one of our weak points at this point is that we're not the, the toughest team. And, I was kind of hoping he could fill that void, honestly. Well, well, guys that size, they have to have, you were talking about Pronger not getting beat. And a lot of that is they have the anticipation. So that's like hockey sense. And he doesn't have great lateral movement. And that's something that with the ACL, it's going to be tough for him to overcome that. And those are the obstacles he's going to face. It might not be the flyers for him. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of what I was going to ask. The torn ACL twice like man like <laughs> and he's already how old he drafted in 2013 and he, he didn't exactly when he was healthy you know steal the spotlight or anything he was barely hanging on um you were hoping he would show you something eventually and then you got the first tear and then the second tear it's like definitely i can't see him making a name for himself here but is he at this point do you think he can even do it at somewhere else with the injury history and possible potential for more I mean, it's not like he just, you know, hurt his shoulder. So, I mean, two ACL tears, yikes. How many, how, many athletes, how many athletes do you know that come back from two ACL tears and are, like, peak performance level? Oh, we were, yeah, we were talking about that. Where who, who could we think of that really came out of the gate with tons of injuries? And the only two guys I could think of were Dennis Seinberg, who really was injury-plagued in the very beginning, and Justin Williams – with somebody else it took a, and he had some really bad injuries but yeah most guys you that slow out of the gate with injuries they never recover yeah it, it might be the time lost too on top of that right because you're like 18 yeah. 19 years old and six months of development for you at that age is immense like how much is you know how much is morgan frost game going to change over the next few months even like he could come back if you know if when there's a playoffs Right, like he could come back bigger, stronger, a little bit older than we even remember. And he's, you know, they're kids. Yep. They they develop a lot in a short time. Yeah. Here's a question: yeah, Since we're a, talking about off, often injured, you know, younger Flyers players, and I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna say it, Jack. 
how concerned are you guys? And all right, let's. I'm just gonna go with that. How concerned are you guys right now with Nolan Patrick? Concerned. <laughs> I'm concerned, Jim. I'm incredibly <laughs> concerned. Yeah. Because he's the number two overall pick, and that doesn't fare well for the Flyers. Like, are you guys trusting that? Like, okay, everything's cool. Like, you should, they're just taking their time. He'll be back next season for sure, without a doubt. Or are you like, mm, something's weird here. Like, is he ever going to play for the Flyers again? Which is kind of how I'm leaning. He, he's got migraine syndrome. I have migraine syndrome. Good luck, Ma. Good luck, man. Good luck. That that can you don't know what the trigger is. They're saying it's it's not the um, it's not the concussions. Yeah, right. And then or you get a concussion and, the, and you see a doctor. I've seen forty doctors, and you you get a different story from about five or six different specialists with headaches. So if he doesn't like what he's hearing from one guy, I'll go to another guy. And this could go on for a long time, or, or he could do well, come back, everything's great. He gets a concussion. Guess what? He's got the headaches back. That's the problem with this uh, type of medical issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, it's almost. I'm, I feel like I've almost written him off at this point, and it's not fair. But look how good the team was before. And at this point, I, when he gets brought up, I just get bitter. It's not right, but I can't help it at the same time either. It's. What, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Get bitter. The I get angry. I get straight up angry. Like this is bullshit, and I take it out on him personally. Like I say things I probably shouldn't. Like he doesn't even want to come back. You know, and then, you know, it's not. You know what angry. hurts? You know what hurts? Because the three guys after him that were drafted yeah, after yeah. him are all going to be fucking all stars. And, and that McCarr, fucking yep. Patterson, and uh, who's the other guy? Oh, um, Heskinen. Heskinen, right? Yeah. Heskinen, right? Exactly. But, and that doesn't help. That- yeah, but at that time, like, Nolan Patrick was, like, the number one consensus pick if he wasn't, you know, with those little injuries or whatever. Like, Nolan Patrick, like, was the pick, and if not, it was going to be Nico Heeshear. So I can't really blame the Flyers for not going with a Pedersen or a McCarr or Heisken because, like, Nolan Patrick and Nico Heeshear were definitely, like, the one, two, and the rest were kind of yeah. in the tier below, but... It yeah. just sucks because yeah. it's Flyers' luck that you Hexall know we would have been you know well, annihilated if he had taken anybody absolutely. else. Absolutely. I I, yeah. I, I want to make I want to make one immediate challenge. First of all, Flyers' luck. I'm gonna say this right now. If we didn't have luck, we do not get Carter Hart in the second round. It does not happen. And I want to make that very clear. He's a franchise caliber goaltender, and not only do we have him, we have several. And like I hear everybody with. Nolan Patrick thing, and I'm I'm with you. I think I'm nervous. But my thing is, I'm not I'm not I don't give up on anybody until he's given me a reason to give up on him. Like my attitude towards athletes are, it's up to him. Like, yes, there are some athletes that are done. There are some athletes that keep going. Like Troy Aikman, right? Like he had migraine disorder. I think Deion Sanders as well. There are several professional athletes that had great careers with it. Am I nervous? I think we all are. I'd be an asshole. Good. Sorry to curse. But I, you know, I'd be lying if I'm telling you that I'm not nervous about it, right? Because I am, and I think the silence and the unknown, I think, is what makes us more nervous. And then, like I, I like they're, you know, like we're saying here, there are definitely cause for concern from history. So my attitude with with Patrick is like I agree, he was like the consensus number one, number two. I will say I do know Vancouver would have taken Pedersen first overall, regardless. I mean, they they said that they always wanted Pedersen. I remember McCarr. Everybody thought. 
you know, he plays in high school. Everybody f- finds a reason to, to kind of knock these players. I don't know. He's achieved a lot even with the injuries. I, I've said this to you, Jim. Not many players, including those that we named, would have made the NHL with that injury. I have never seen any player make the NHL coming from abdominal core surgery. And then again, you know, the following year, it's obviously another nightmare year. So, like, it's a lot of bad luck, and maybe it just ends up, you know, we've seen Pat LaFontaine go. We've seen Brett Lindros, right, who's also supposed to be really good. We've seen it happen, so I don't want to say it can't happen, but I just want to give him benefit of the doubt. He's, In my opinion, he had an exceptional young career, and if he's special, which I believe he is, you know, maybe he can get out of it. Right. It is a tough spot. So that's kind of my attitude on it, because if I told you that I knew that it was going to be amazing and he's going to come back and rock and roll, I'd be lying to you. But that's kind of my attitude. I just don't think we're cursed. I think it seems like we're cursed because we're average. And that's the problem. We we've never been like we don't have 10 years of domination recently. So if anything, we have what 10 years of mediocrity, I believe. Yeah. Uh, within the. Yeah. So it makes us feel like we're cursed. But we wouldn't have got Carter Hart if we're cursed. I mean, Especially that Ron Hextall brought him here, which I think is one of the most interesting stories ever, that the Flyers could not find a goaltender for the life to to save them at all. And I believe last night I saw an NHL poll of, like, who would you rather have as far as, like, elite teams? And Carter Hart was on the list of goalies along Crosby and all of these ridiculous names. Like, yeah, maybe we missed out on... Let's even say Patrick Kane, but did we just get Carter Hart? And I don't know, man. I'm just trying to look at the bright side of it because there's still a chance he could come back. And they're not going to clear Patrick if there isn't a reason to come back. Like, they're not going to make a statement. They're not going to evaluate him. And, and they're not going to tell us about it. So I'm kind of sitting there in that. But at the same time, you know, I, I know that you guys bring up great points with the medical history. So can't say that you guys are wrong either, right? Could end. I like you, man. Very glass half full. I really wish I could be more like that. <laughs> I mean, it's like I'm not even – and I get what you're saying about Carter Hart. Um, and I have thought of that same paradox with, like, Hextall being the one to draft him. But it's just like, when has this friggin' team ever had a top pick and it's he's been the, the franchise guy, you know? So you're right. Carter Hart could be the franchise goalie that we've all, never had since, what, uh, Lindbergh maybe, I guess? Like, Perrant. Um but, yeah, just with this injury alone, everything that I've heard, everything we have been hearing and going forward, it's like I'm so – I'm at the point where I've been nervous for so long that I've become just bitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's yes. – it's, and I take it out of the wrong person. And every time it gets brought up, I say probably something I probably shouldn't have. And it's – the good news is the team has been a, probably a cup contender without him for sure. So uh, there is that at least. I don't even weigh I mean, in on the good things. I just use Flyers luck and just line up all the bad things. <laughs> Long list. I mean, there's enough of them. That, that's the thing. If you really want to paint that, I mean, there, if you really want to get weird with it, I mean, just look at the captaincy issue, right? I mean, if you're a captain of the Flyers, like, I mean, knock on wood here for Claude Giroux. I mean, he's kind of the one that broke the curse. The rest of them got a captaincy and were just broken. I mean, Desjardins took it for half a season. And he's like, no thanks. I mean, how many captains do we have that don't end with like a head injury or some kind of career-ending hasher with the knees? Uh, Jason Smith with the the shoulders. Uh, Pronger with the head. Lindros with the head. Freeman with the head. Yeah, uh, Richards I mean, with the drug addiction. 
Yeah, you got Bob Clark. Sorry, Richard. Uh, um, <laughs> who took over? Uh, Dave Tool of uh, Dave, Dave Poulin. He was often injured too. Yeah, but they traded him for Linsman. Then he went and had some more good years with Boston. Of course, but, not Philly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was good. I mean, they made two finals with him. But uh, yeah, but after that, it was like. Uh, then it was Lindros after a couple of years, and then it all started like you guys are talking about. Well, that that was your guy. I mean, that you're you're talking about right. That and obviously, I don't think Nolan Patrick was ever going to be a Lindros. I don't think anybody in that draft is going to be a Lindros necessarily. Um, but that's the type of guy. Actually, I just uh, was with Alexander Appleyard uh, yesterday uh, talking to him, and his his origin of learning about the Flyers was watching Eric Lindros. And, like, you know, it just kind of put it in perspective where, you know, he's across the world just seeing somebody that good. Like, what kind of attention it draws, even from us. And Claude Giroux is incredible, don't get me wrong, but he's not uh, McDavid, right? He's not he's not the LeBron James of the league. To have something like that is really, um, you know, even McKinnon, somebody like McKinnon right now. I mean, we had Giroux who's up there like that for a little bit, and it does reflect on the team a little bit, but... You know, the, what Nathan McKinnon was able to do, Kucherov, Drew had like one year of that. But we, we have that guy who does it every year, the, the Crosby, you know, the Ovechkin. It's a big draw. It's a big confidence boost for the city and for the team, you know. It's kind of how we started the podcast. The first question we had was, um, and I guess we didn't really do this, Jim. Uh, um, what got you into watching the Flyers? And if you were around the Lindros era, was it him? Do you think you'd be as big as a fan as you are today if Lindros wasn't on the team? Because like you just said, he was compared to Gretzky. Like they thought there was a chance he could have been better. Jim Jackson said it to me. I mean, Jim Jackson told me straight up he thinks Eric Lindros had the potential to be the best player of all time, period. Right. And I, that's this is pretty insane to, th- to think about that. We had somebody that good. But I mean, even if you look at the numbers compared to, to uh, Bobby Clark, who obviously is a legend point per game i mean he dwarfs them he's he's a monster monster player you know so so for the guys that weren't on when we started the show tonight we did ask that question would you be as big a fan of as you are now if you didn't watch eric lindros play in the 90s and you know we have isaiah from omb puck on and isaiah has been around before eric lindros so isaiah let me ask you you know, growing up in the eras uh, that you got to watch, what was it like when the Flyers got Eric Lindros? And, and was that time, was he different? Was he a different player than anybody you've seen before? Yeah, Eric Lindros was the first real superstar that the Flyers were able to get right at the beginning of his career. The Flyers had acquired many guys you know, like uh, Daryl Sittler along the way. And there are some other guys that aren't coming to mind, but the, the Flyers would get guys like uh, toward the end and the back nine. But Lindros was going to be, I think they called them the next one. You know, you had Gretzky, you had Mario Lemieux, and then you were going to have Lindros. And a lot of the marketing campaigns would kind of allude to that fact. But when that whole thing came down, the drama with the draft, when the Rangers challenged the trade and Marcel Abu, I think his name was the general manager of Quebec at the time, 
he just basically was a double dealer. He was very du- duplicitous. And he had a solid deal from the Flyers, and then the Rangers upped it and topped it. And then the, that, everybody knows the story about they had to go to an arbitrator. I remember I was working with my manager out in the field. And this is like a no-no. It was like a farmer rep. And I said, I got to check the radio, sports radio, to see if we got Lindros. It was like the biggest fucking thing when we got Eric Lindros. So we just, it was like getting, like when we, when we got Dr. J for the Sixers, you know, or you know, they traded for Carlton. We didn't know Carlton was going to be that good. I'm trying, or Reggie White. Like, we didn't even know Reggie White was Reggie White when we got him. It was just like one sack after another. It was incredible. Eric Lindros, we were getting from the very beginning. And it, we were looking forward to a Gretzky or Mario Lemieux-like era of hockey. And I, I got to tell you, the excitement was palpable. Everybody was talking about it. It was leading the sports, even during a time, because this happened, I forget when the arbitrator made his decision, but I think it, it came out in the summer, because the dispute in the next draft, he didn't go to Quebec. I think he went back to juniors or something like that. And then they just the arbitrator uh, Bertuzzi's uncle, Todd Bertuzzi's uncle, Larry Bertuzzi. And he said that Philadelphia had an enforceable deal. And I just like I couldn't believe it. It's like, wow, this is really happening. You know, it's a big thrill, really, since I don't know, maybe since we beat the Russians in 76. There's just something about it. It was uh, it was one of great days in sports. I mean, you think of all the pre-agent signings and all the trades we made in the history of Philadelphia sports in the last 50 years. The acquisition of Eric Lindros is right up there with any of them. That's awesome. There's a, there's a perspective for you where the rest of us were babies, not born. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's it's a good one, uh, you know, one that I can appreciate because the stories that we hear, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, I guess, the stories that I hear about Bobby Clark and, you know, players from from those days, sometimes I, like, okay, we know Bobby Clark, we know Bernie Perrant, we know all those guys and how great they were, but I never got to see them. So part of me is like, yeah, I, I know, like, you hear the stories, like, they they were so great, and Bobby Clark was the best captain ever, but, like, I almost feel a little bit left out when people talk about those guys because I, I can't really add to the conversation, you know? So when I think about my childhood and who kind of pulled me in, you know, and, and made me love the Flyers, it's absolutely Eric Lindros. Uh, so for the guys that weren't on in the beginning of the show, uh, Doyle, Yareev, uh Steve, you were on for this question, I think, no? Yeah, I was. Okay. You know, would you be as big a fan as you are now, if you didn't get to watch Eric Lindros play for the Flyers in the 90s? That's a tough question. I don't know. I think I'd still be a fan, but he was the one that definitely got me, like, sucked into, like, actually watching hockey. So I guess I would say, I don't know, I guess I would. I probably wouldn't be as big of a fan, maybe? And, I, like, I, I when I came up with the question, like, I asked myself, Maybe it's because I was a kid, too, and, like, we just felt different watching sports when we were younger. You know, I think, uh, Dan, you kind of alluded to that, how, like, you know, you, you you grow attached to certain players when you're young. And as you get older, that attachment thing kind of falls away. And you're instead of rooting for your favorite player, you're rooting for the Flyers now, right? Yeah. Like, maybe it was some of that. Like, Eric Lindros was just larger than life for me. Like, of course, I wanted the Flyers to win, but I watched the Flyers for Eric Lindros. 
You know, they were like the Philadelphia Lindrosses for me. I, I loved LeClaire. I loved all the other players, but I loved Lindros. I want to get no, you. I will add to that. Eric Lindros, now that I think about it, was the only hockey player I, I can remember that I actually had like posters of in my room. So I guess it was pretty impactful. Yeah, I mean, of course, like we, you know, LeClaire was, was awesome and everything. And I think we talked a little bit about LeClaire as well. I don't know. For me, for me, it's just when I think about guys that I love that played for the Flyers, it's Lindros and it's Richards. Everybody else I liked, but I, I didn't love like I really liked those guys. Like I really wanted to see them win. And, you know, maybe and funny enough, like obviously Richards didn't have the skill that Lindros had, but they were they were comparable in the ways that they played the game, I think, a little bit. And, the, you know, they were kind of like alpha males, you know, like uh, maybe natural. I don't know. They just took games over. Richards, maybe not so much on the score sheet all the time, but you always knew when he was on the ice, whether it was for his defense, his physicality, uh, he could score a little bit. And then Lindros would literally, he could literally steam, th- steam through three guys and, and score a goal. You know, it was just... He could he could physically dominate and he could um, dominate you with skill as well, you know. And I, I think something about those kind of players I'm drawn to. I enjoy watching them play. Everybody else is just you know a flyer for me. They were just another guy. I think the the word you might be looking for was will maybe. Yeah. Yeah, they had the will. They wanted to win. They had the will to win. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Sorry, I feel like, too, like, part of that question is, like, if you didn't even like Lindros, like, Lindros wasn't your favorite player, he was part of this big, you know, big Flyers team in the 90s. He helped, like, the reason John LeClaire is one of my favorite players is because, you know, I love John LeClaire, and I love seeing John LeClaire score 50 goals a season. But, you know, John Le- like, we talked a little bit earlier, like, John LeClaire's, John LeClaire's not scoring 50 goals if he doesn't have Eric Lindros next to him. So even though LeClaire's my favorite player growing up, it's, you know, without Lindros, LeClaire isn't what he is today, and he might not be my favorite player. So it's it's Lindros has that sort of connection and brought that kind of gravitas to a team. Uh, you know, that would be absent if you didn't have them. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. Uh, growing up during that time, it really felt like when you talk to your friends about who your favorite player was, it's like Lindros was untouchable. It's like, yeah, we all we all get it. Like, he's, you know, besides Lindros, who's your favorite player kind of thing, you know, because <laughs> he was like, he was that good. He was a god. Like, I can never imagine meeting him in person as a kid. I would, I don't know. What <laughs> <I'd be> like. <laughs> it was that, I think that's why I kind of like started liking LeClaire. I was like, yeah, Lindros is we, he's the best, and I kind of watch this guy now too because you know everybody likes this guy, you know. So I, he was just that immortal to us as kids. It was ridiculous. It's actually pretty interesting. I, I probably have kind of a different answer from everybody because um, I grew up playing soccer, <laughs> a lot of soccer. I, I grew up Israeli, right? So like a lot of my background, like there aren't that many Israelis who, cause I was born there as well that are that into hockey right off the bat. So I actually didn't understand anything about hockey till I was about 11. Um, so I actually missed everything until the downside of Lindros. So I actually got to see Lindros's demise. I never even got to see him live those moments of greatness. I like came in when they're like losing in the Stanley Cup, and then, like, I hear about the Flyers. And then by the end of that, I'm, like, playing NHL every day, and I'm absolutely obsessed, and I'm waiting for Lindros to come back from a head injury. That's, like, the status I have from Lindros for a lot of the career. So, I actually, I watch him come back. I watch him come back for that game, play amazing against New Jersey, and then the same game, 
get knocked out. Like I watched the that player at the end, and I can tell you it didn't diminish any of my love for the Flyers whatsoever. I would have watched regardless of anybody. I know that sounds weird, but I fell in love with all, all of the Flyers. Actually, Mark Recchi was my favorite hockey player, and obviously I missed a lot of that. But my first, like, real, real favorite hockey player was Simone Gagne. That was the guy I became, like, I follow every single, like, I'm always paying attention to him on the ice. But in fairness, I missed that, like, 95, 94, 96 era of Lindros that you guys are talking about. You know, 97, like, I got there, like, right at the end. I got to see Gretzky leave the NHL. And it's unfortunate, right? Like, obviously, I've watched old games. I've watched Lindros play in video. And I've watched him at the end of his career, but I didn't get to see him when I was a little kid because I didn't even watch hockey at that time. I had to pick up later. But I will say, even you know, you know, if you watch him today, you're like, this guy could play in easily today and run over everybody. So, I mean, I see the specialty, and I loved him, and I love what he represents. And I hated that we traded him. And this is also why I don't love trading players. And I use him as a great example. He was at the end of his career. We had bad relations. All that stuff, he should have kept him. There was absolutely no reason to trade him. He should have fixed the relationship. He should have retired a flyer. We got ultimately almost nothing for him, even though Kim Janssen is a pretty good player. But why? I'd rather see that, him that, quit that was gonna as happen, a flyer. Man. That wasn't going to happen. Right. I know because the relationship uh, but let me tell you, those, those, wound, those wounds were deep on both sides. I know. But it's a, I'm not blaming anybody, but it's a, it's a fault of management. I mean – franchise caliber player they needed to fix it whatever the problem was they weren't able to fix it it's an issue right because it's a loss the trade was a loss that's how i viewed it at least overall yeah. i wanted to see more of him at least personally wow. so, so isaiah you brought up uh, the relationship there and i feel like if anybody would recall like the, the facts and specifics about what was happening it, it may be you uh i mean everybody chime in obviously but how was that handled at the time? Because at the, as a kid, you know, I'm believing everything that we're kind of being fed through the media there that, you know, Lindros is being a jerk. His dad's being a jerk. You know, uh, all he's got to do is go out there and play and Bobby Clark's being a good GM and this and that. Looking back on that, my perspective flipped, it flipped like a hundred percent. I'm on Eric Lindros's side. And I think Bobby Clark kind of fucked that whole thing up. What what did you kind of think as all that was going on? It started out one way, where Lindros's camp, his mother was calling and, and saying, Eric, you know, should be doing this or whatever, and his parents were very involved. And it it was totally an anathema, if I could use that word on, on a podcast, a Flyers podcast. It just went against the grain of what the Flyers' culture was. And especially when the guy who set the benchmark for the culture was Bob Clark himself. So it really cut deep. And the, the Flyers had to get used to the fact that this guy was a bit of a prima donna coming in. So I would say in the very beginning, it was the Lindros camp's fault. And it kind of soiled the relationship. But then as things went on and Eric matured and his parents started getting like a clue that like you can't. <laughs> micromanage one guy out of like you know 20 guys on a team then 
some of the good things and points that were being made by Eric Lindros about the medical care and things like that, that that could have been handled better by his camp when they openly challenged the medical care the Flyers were giving him. But I think when it really turned was when he had that injury and he had the collapsed lung and had he not gone to the hospital, that was a big turning point. And I think Bob Clark was still stuck in in a mindset where it was Eric is complaining again. So I think it is a shared responsibility. I think they're both to blame for what happened, but I think Bob Clark should have been able to adapt while acknowledging that Eric was the one with the problem and brought the problems or his parents really in the beginning. But by the end, the flyers were as much the problem by the end. And it was just, that's why I said it's just, had to the relationship had to end and uh, honestly at that point getting kim Janssen for a couple of years to, when you look at what lindros was able to bring and how poison it was for the rest of the team it probably was the best they could do at the time because when he came back and there was 2000 playoffs and he scored that goal late and he looked like oh wow this guy's gonna yeah. we're not gonna win this game but we're gonna rely on eric and it was like a mental letdown. And when they when he got knocked out by uh, Scott Stevens, that was it. That was the series. That was it. The Flyers were done. And it's almost like they let somebody in the door, and they shouldn't have done that. They should have just, you know, let it ride and let the team try to close things out in 2000. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Well, really well said there. To be honest with you. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, spot on. My memory from that, jeez, I could probably do it in two sentences. Uh, I remember my dad saying something about your father shouldn't be your your um, your agent, <laughs> and Bob Clark's dick. <laughs> and then he was, he was, you know, there was the hits, and then there was the trade, and that was kind of that. But now, I mean, I remember the, the Scott Stevens hit, of course. I was watching that game live. I didn't see the Casperitis one live, but. The collapsed lung thing, I didn't hear about that until years later. So, yeah, I guess you got it all right when it happened. I mean, there was no social media or nothing. Like, I did, I found out that Brendan got traded, like, randomly on TV. Like, it hit me, like, a an arrow to the chest. Like, okay, all right, that just happened. So, yeah, it's an interesting time, man. It's, it's, it's it good was to get pr- some clarity. Yeah, and Primo, you know, Primo was a hell of a good player, but we saw what Brendan was able to do. And he exceeded anything when he was given a chance to be the lead dog. What he did in Carolina was amazing. Well, how well do you remember the, if the, if this is, you know, maybe this is just in Flyers lore, but I'll figure out, I'll ask you the reason Brendan Moore was traded, all that rumors with Lindros and his wife, how, how was that a thing or did that just come out later and it's probably BS or what did you hear about the time? You about know, that? as far as I know, that's urban legend. There might be people <laughs> that know more than I do. But I will say this. I think the Flyers liked the idea of having a big center and they saw the writing on the wall with Lindros and his injuries. And they felt that Primo could kind of step in there and that if if Lindros was healthy, great. They go big one, two. If Lindros was hurt, they still had that top line center and they felt that Primo could take his game to another level. And they were right about that. But then again, the injury bug hit them and scuttled everything. 
And yeah. it, it was a great run in 2004, and that's the best primo. Even though his numbers weren't as good, he was a better all-around player. That was an amazing year. It was so much fun. All the veterans, like one last hurrah, except for, you know, Recky. Recky just went on to play forever. Hmm. And Recky awesome. helped beat us in, in 2011, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. And that's insane. What did he play for 23 freaking years? Yeah. But, and, yeah, but well, yeah. Primo... Uh, yeah, the Primo trade sh- should have been a solid win for both uh, both teams, but in the end, Carolina got the better of it. Mm. Well, they won a cup. Anybody who wins the cup gets the better of it. That's you know? it. That's right. We won the like transactions we... that we when we met when we got um, when we yeah. traded Carter and Richards. But the end, of, you know, it's like winning the battle but we losing lost. the war. Brain and. Well, and, and, I mean, that's another good example. But, I mean, uh, kind of what Jim was saying earlier, right? Mike Richards had a willpower that a lot of players don't have, um, regardless of how he ended his career. I mean, I know I bet a lot of you guys listen to that Spitting Chicklets podcast, right? I mean, when that guy says, I believe we're going to win a Stanley Cup, do you really doubt him? It's, I, I feel like everybody who listened to him would be like, oh, wow, Richard said that he thought they could win a Cup. It's like, I mean, I've seen that guy will his way through players, you know, through teams, and he's not that talented. He wasn't Eric Lindros. He was, like, the best second-line center in the league by far. It's actually a lot like Ryan O'Reilly, right, like what Ryan O'Reilly was doing last year. It's like that type of willpower to just battle through everything and win. It's like we need those guys. I think Primo had a little bit of that, too, to be honest, prior to the head injury. I think Chris Pronger has it in stride. Which is why every team he went on to would go to the cup like immediately. He would scream at everybody like the entire time. Yeah, he goes to Edmonton for one year. They go to the cup. <laughs> they weren't even good. And his wife yeah. couldn't stand living there, so they she got she, she bitched and moaned, got him out of there. Yeah, it was, oh, it was, was awkward. Freaking Anaheim. He was so fucking good. You know, think about Chris Pronger. Yes. Uh, yeah, he just anticipated. Amazing. He, he just anticipated the plays so well. That's why he didn't have to have that, all that mobility like a lot of guys. And it's just, I, w- I would have loved to seen him play just like another few years. Who knows yeah. what could have happened. But Such bad shame. luck, man. <laughs> oh, here we go with that, that motif. Hey, there's enough of them to make a bad luck. Oh, list. there is. You, I mean, you got Pelly. You got uh, Yannick Dupre. You got Tertigny. Everybody forgets him. Yeah. Makes it you definitely. think, did Snyder make a pact with the devil in the 70s or something? I mean, we're really paying for something. As soon as we beat the Russians, man. <laughs> <laughs> we saved Western <laughs> civilization, but it came at a great cost. Makes sense. Any, uh, I mean, I could think of topics all night, guys. We've been going for about two hours, 15 minutes here. Is there anything you want to add in to continue the conversation, or have you guys had enough? Not unless you want to talk about like what you think the Flyers might actually do if the NHL resumes the season, but you know, win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, well, Jim's not coming. I feel like right. I kind of wrote about it the other day on Brotherly Puck, but I think like of like a lot of the teams remaining, like this coaching staff is, I feel, one of the best in that it's gonna probably like if there's a coaching staff that's gonna help this team get its mojo back and get like the way the Flyers are playing when they were on that nine game winning streak before they lost to Boston. Like there's, you know, like this coaching staff is like 
I feel like uniquely qualified to help them get their mojo back because you have Elaine Vigneault who's been to two Stanley Cup finals. You have Mike Yo who uh, helped coach the Pittsburgh Penguins and uh, to their cup, like not coach, but he was an assistant. You have Terry and who's got a ton of playoff experience. Like everyone was kind of like, Oh, why are you having three NHL coaches on your bench? That's kind of stupid, but I feel like it's paid off. And I feel like if this team's going to resume and might find their mojo back, I feel like this coaching staff can do it. I definitely agree with that. I mean, we, it's just Hackslaw. I've been screaming for legitimacy and this is like overload of it. And it's, Seeing, like you said, with the nine-game winning streak and the structure and all that just coming together, they're a whole nother squad. They got a whole new mojo. And if they, if any coaching staff can get them back on track to where they would be, it'd be, it'd be like this all-star lineup we have of coaches. So I'm definitely excited for that. And I definitely kind of, I kind of expect it from just from what we've seen this year. Maybe unfair, but isn't it isn't it a little bit because of AV's kind of? I mean, we we're talking about like willpower. I'm gonna bring up the Michael Jordan documentary. I assume that you guys have seen that, The Last Dance, right? I haven't finished it, but if you just take a key element away, I mean, again, just the will to win. I do remember AV's attitude this entire year. Like, we are a playoff team, like without hesitation. He said, "We will be better. We will do everything." Like I, I agree with what you guys are saying, and I think. I, again, I really like our two assistants, but I think AV has that mindset, that kind of will and that drive. Lavi had it, where it's like, he'll say, hey, my guy's the best player in the league. I, I don't care if you disagree. He's incredible. We're going to go win the Stanley Cup. Like He'll just make that statement and drive to it. Obviously, he could fail, but I do think it's that attitude that we're carrying now, and it's a- AV's attitude a little bit of like, don't accept anything but championships, essentially. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, and he doesn't have to be there like, I want you to rip your heart out of your chest. Because, like, you can right. only listen to that, like, two or three years. And Lavi's, right. like, a shelf life kind of guy. But I, I think AV's got – he just knows how to put pressure at the right point. Right. He's more precise in what he does so he doesn't have to scream and get all crazy. Right. And I think that'll definitely – some, sometimes you need a guy like that to yep. push you over the top. But I think AV is going to have a longer uh, shelf life than a guy like Lavi, and and I I think he has been pushing all the right buttons this year. Yeah, yeah I think it's a savvy guy for him to uh, to you know call even call out some of the leadership in the media too, because you know especially a lot of fans, sometimes myself included, have been waiting for uh, a coach to give like Voracek a kick in the ass to to, to play a little bit better. So it was nice to hear him, you know. Mentioned that, like, that they, they all had to be better, and it was finally clicking before this all happened. Yeah. Yeah, like he said, I like the people, but I need more from the players. It was, like, perfect. Pitch perfect. Yeah, exactly. He's done a hell and of a job. He doesn't call them out, like, in front of the media. He goes to the players, tells them, hey, I need a little bit more from you, and then goes and tells the media. He's right. not, you know, an a-hole. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. it's a sabotage. I don't know about you guys, but I think Elaine Vigneault is the perfect coach somebody that I would want to play for because, you know, number one, he comes in with his, his pedigree. Although he's never won a Stanley Cup, his teams are always at the top of the league. He's been to two Stanley Cups with two different teams, a uh, couple president's trophies, division titles year in and year out, doesn't matter which team. You know, he when he walks into the room, he commands respect and he has the background to back it up. Uh, what I noticed with Elaine Vigneault right away was, you know, obviously the work work ethic is going to have to change. 
in practice with the with the team and whatnot. They're gonna have to play differently. But I noticed a lot of mental stuff with Vino. He changed the mindset of the players. The first couple months, I think, the first month or two, he was kind of breaking their mindset. And if you remember last year when Fletcher said, you know, there's a lot of things that have to change. I think I think he might have even said the mindset of the team has to change. Mm-hmm. And I feel maybe over the summer, or definitely the first two months of the season, that's what Elaine Vigneault was doing. You know, the, you hear the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But, you know, these these guys kind of fell into bad habits the last couple of years. And I think Vigneault focused a lot on the mental aspect of some of these guys, you know, breaking them out of their funks and, you know, teaching them to play the game the right way again, how to think the right way again. Because, you know, if, if you're thinking selfishly and, you know, you're playing the blame game, not saying that these guys were, I'm only going based off what I saw in interviews and whatnot, you're probably not going to win much. But as soon as he took over, like from top to bottom, and that's how this stuff has to spread, I just, I noticed differences between, uh, you know, guys like Claude Giroux and then guys at the bottom, uh, like uh, like even Sandheim or, or who else I'm thinking of here, uh, Robert Haig. I mean, everyone's saying the same things, you know, especially in the beginning of the year, you heard, all you heard was, oh, we got to play the game the right way. We got to play the game the right way. And then they were playing the game the right way, and interviews change, you know. So to me, that kind of showed, okay, like, they're constantly hearing play the game the right way. They're being kind of almost brainwashed, you know, to play the game a certain way. And it, and, it, and it worked. Throughout the course of the year, what I look for from a team like the Flyers were this year, okay, they're going to start out down here. But I want to gradually see them get better throughout the year. And that's what they were doing. And yeah. the shame of it all is, is they were hitting their stride, I think, right when they needed to. Like, I was like, oh, my God. What I exactly know. what I want to see from I this know. team? <laughs> they're doing it. And then all of a sudden, Corona's like, maybe not this year, you know? So I was re- I was super, super excited because exactly what I want to see from a team is what was happening, and it all just got derailed. So, but back, Steve, back to your question. I really... I think they can still do it. You know, I'm hoping that they can bring some of that magic back and like, all right, guys, let's, let's jump right back where we were and let's, let's go do it. James, so. just, just to add one point to what you said there, his comment about Shane Goss's bear this year, I think is a perfect example of that. He still struggled all year round, but AV called him in public to the media, a special player. He didn't do that by accident. He had a very special beginning to his career. He's trying to get that side out of him again. That's the incentive, right? Not to say you're broken and you're done. It's how do we get Ghost to play the way he used to play. So brainwash him. You're amazing. You're the best player in the league, right? But then behind the scenes, push him harder, push him harder. In front of the media, fluff him up. Totally agree with what you said. I thought that was a beautiful breakdown. Dude, oldest psychology trick in the book. If you tell someone they are something enough times, eventually they start to believe it. And they yeah. start to want to prove you right. It's it's pretty crazy. And, and but, players uh, like him don't grow on trees. If you're not <laughs> sure about that, just ask Shane himself. <laughs> Somebody had to tell him that, right, for him to repeat that. Like he didn't just think to come out and say it. And I've or been, maybe he did. I've, I've been looking at trees every time now, ever since then. Like, is there a Shane Gassis player up there? And like, you know He's what? He's right. I don't see anybody. Yeah, I think Shane's got a lot of those in his holster. I hope it works. 
You you're right, Jimmy. Your whole, your little, that whole rant there was so positive, and then you were just like, and COVID, and it made me so depressed. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was setting up you know, the perfect season, man. Like, Yeah, this is know, what the DVD would be like. You know, the uh, Flyers, uh, 2019-2020, Stanley Cup champions. I'm like, yeah, this is how it would start. And then COVID's, oh, that's right, it's a horror movie. I forgot. I mean, like, every time <laughs> that they hit a road bump, like, oh, any trial and or tribulation that they ran into – you know, I mean, like, dude, like a teammate got cancer this year. Like, that's, know. you know, like how, uh, can you imagine what the locker room was like in Ugh. there? Like, holy shit, man. And then like and, probably the nicest guy on the team too. Yeah. Oh, and then the thing with Patrick, that would normally have been the biggest distraction, right? And then we had Limblom was on top of that. So to, to your point, this has been a weird season. Definitely. Very yeah, and, and not to, like, you know, say that those things needed to happen, but for them to come out stronger the way they did, you know, you have to go through, um, uh, what what's the word, adversity. You know, you have to go through some adversity to, and, you know, you come out stronger on the other side in most cases, and that's what they were doing. Anytime they ran into an obstacle, they came out better, and it's like, okay, this team must be legit. And towards the end of the year, the only complaint that I, you know, I was hearing was, well, they've never put a, they haven't put a string of wins together yet, and it was like, okay, fucking nine in a row, what now? And it's like, mm, season's on hold. It's and not, it's not even that it was nine in a row. It's who it was against. I remember yeah. uh, New York coming in, and it's like, oh, they're really hot, and we beat them in both games. And he had the Columbus. They're right there with us in the standings. They beat him in both games. Like it, they weren't just these power pu- powder puff games. Like they were beating teams they needed to beat. They were there in the standings, division rivals. They were hot coming in, and they, they just stayed hot, man. It was I haven't seen that from them in a long, long time. It's doing their will. Their will because mm-hmm. this is a team that was down. I said so so many times. They were down two to nothing in 32 out of 82 games the prior season, and to do. And to deal with the adversity that they had to deal with and still be where they were at nine in a row until that Boston game, they, they were setting up very well for a good playoff run, no doubt. I was just looking forward for them to make the playoffs on the, not the last day of the season for once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, if you guys have uh, nothing else, uh, we could end it here. I'm or we could positive it's going to get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we half keep broken. talking all night. I'm gonna <laughs> <single> employee. <laughs> I have to go with all right. Door. All right, so we'll wrap this one up then, guys. Uh, awesome show tonight, guys. Uh, we could run through real quick. Anybody have any plugs they want to get out there? Uh, yeah, I, I honestly recommend listening to the interview I had with a- Applebaum or Applebaum. Oh my God, Apple Yard. Jesus, sorry. Uh, to Alex <laughs> making Apple everybody Yard. Jewish. You're a nice Jewish boy. <laughs> uh, and he's a wrestler now. Thank you. So I know, right, right. I got got it on the mind. But um, highly recommended. He had a really, really good breakdown of uh, Hogberg and Sandine. And he's legit. I mean, he, he lives overseas, but he knows his languages. He knows those leagues so well. Um, a lot of us talk about these players. We've seen glimpses of them. We've seen my camp and stuff like that. He's seen them a lot more. Uh, highly recommend just listening to him. I mean, I don't, you don't have to listen to me that much on him. He's the expert on those players. It's kind of obvious. Um, and he really knows this stuff. I, know, I only have the experience of seeing them at camp, really, and a little bit of video. But he's seen them game after game, so highly recommend that because they're kind of newcomers. So if you guys haven't had a chance, um, totally recommend that interview. Next OMB podcast coming up next week, we're going to have Manny Benavides 
from Brotherly Puck. And uh, Dan will be there talking about Sam Moran. And we're going to cover all the different prospects from top to bottom in the Flyers organization, from the NCAA to juniors uh, to the AHL, everybody. So we're looking forward to that show. And I'd like to thank you for inviting me on. Thanks for coming to hang out, Isaiah. This was awesome. If you guys want to check out our podcast, it's the BSB podcast. You can find us at Twitter on the BSB podcast. And uh, I'd just like to thank Jim for uh, inviting me to hang out. Anytime, man. Thanks for taking the time. I'll let Dan answer for me. (laughs) I mean, everybody knows who I am, right? Dan the Flyer fan, Brotherly Puck, Brotherly Pod, Anger Negative Show. And kind of a big deal. Uh, Yeah, I'm kind of a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Number one Samuel Moran fan. Number one. I I love Samuel Moran. Love him. I love it. I'm number two then. (laughs) There you go. He's leaving again. He's leaving. I, I did, he's the only one. He's the only one. He's only allowed to be Dan. I, I, oh, I, <laughs> I have a shirt that says so. It says only. Oh, no, I have a exactly. shirt that says so. He says. There's no number right. two. That is. There's only one number one fan. <laughs> well, I, I didn't get to say I Flyers Nitty Gritty. Um, follow us. Follow Jamie Baskow as well, uh, my co founder. Um, but Flyers Nitty Gritty, why Wallach? Yeah, keep doing the video. And thank you again, guys. This was really fun. Didn't do a nine-person uh, podcast. It's the first time, but I think this actually worked out pretty well. So yeah, good it's experience. Fun. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so for your Eve, Steve, Isaiah, Doyle, Dan, Jack, Kelly, Derek, I'm Jim. Everybody, thanks for hanging out. This was really fun. It was a nice, uh, nice distraction from you know, all the craziness that's going on in the world. It was nice to finally talk some flyers hockey for a good two and a half hours so thank you guys for taping taking time out of your life to hang out and for everybody listening thank you for taking the time to listen hope you enjoyed the show and we'll all talk soon